The long hiatus is over. We're back. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Scott and Colin. Scott, have you been, my man? I've been busy and life has been biting my ass, but at last, finally, life is where it should be. Isn't that how it always is, though? When you want to do something, life gets in the way. Life gets in the way of everything. We can't live with it. We can't live without it. Well, thankfully, we have boxing in our life, and there's been a lot going on these past couple of weeks. I think it was the right time to get this puppy started back up again. It's a perfect time that we just had three fantastic fights with Asian fighters, one after the other. Um, we got possibly the month of the year coming up. What a perfect time. Asianboxing.info is the site. Articles, videos, this podcast, anything regarding Asian boxing, it's all there. Asianboxing.info. All right, Scott, enough housekeeping. Let's get to it. Last week, there was a rather big card, pay-per-view card, uh, Errol Spence Jr., Sean Porter, but that's not who we want to focus on. There was a, a fight a little lower on the card, but it was a good one. We got to see two brawlers um, just go at it. Berrios, Akhmedov in a you know a really, really physical, high-action fight. Yeah, the Spence Potter fight will be getting all these sort of attention now, but really the highlight for me at least was Barrios Akhmedov. It was it's twelve rounds pulsating action. It's one one way than the other. And the drama in the twelfth round, my god, you couldn't have seen that coming. Barrios looked absolutely spent after after basically getting punished for six rounds straight and then drops Akhmedov with seconds left. It was it's up there for the most dramatic bout of the year. It's fantastic. That's what you call championship medal, right? I mean, whenever you hear, uh, you know, go and, uh, and take it, right? You have to, to sell out. That's exactly what Berrios did. He, he got that uh, knockdown, and that probably won him the fight. It would have won him the fight on my card. It's just a shame. Some of the scoring wasn't, uh, to say, particularly accurate. I'm not sure what Jeremy Hayes was watching it. I think he gave Hackman of four rounds of the balance. It's disappointing. It's not a reflection of what was a brilliant fight. Isn't that the problem, though, sometimes in, in boxing? Even though they get the right guy, it's always the score. I mean, you, you, can, you can get the right guy, but when you have a bad score, it still doesn't feel right. It leaves a bad taste. It's almost like, what would it, what would Akhmedov have needed to do to, to have convinced his that he did enough to win? He... Definitely seemed to dominate from round 5 to round 11. Uh, no argument with Barrios winning. No disagreement there, but it was by a round. It was probably by the knockdown at the end. Um, the 12th round knockdown. Is, to have that there at 116, 1-1-1 is just bizarre. Yeah, it's probably where he pulled pulled out the victory. But, I mean, looking beyond the scores, and I know it's hard to, to look past all of that, Heck of a fight. It was a lot of fun to watch, and we, we were treated. Um, obviously, it was on a, a card that uh, had a bigger spectacle with Spence and Porter. So like you said, everyone was talking about that. But it doesn't take away what, what those two warriors did in the ring. Uh, last week, also, we had a, a pretty, pretty tough world title elimination bout. Uh, super featherweight contest. 
And this was between uh, the Russian Rakhimov uh, versus uh, Azinga Fuzile. I hope I pronounced that right uh, from South Africa. A little bit of controversy, though, in this one. So you didn't try and pronounce the, um, the, the Russian Tajik's name? I mean, like, his, his last name is hard enough, but uh, I will not try to pronounce his first name because then I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I might as well quit talking. That bout was another absolutely sensational one. Um, it was a really hard one to originally find. You had to jump through real hoops unless you're in South Africa. I think for us streaming it live, we had to fake a phone number, we had to use a VPN, we had to pretend we were in South Africa. It was bizarre, but well worth it. It was a sen- really sensational fight. Um, Fuzile looks class. He may have lost. He got knocked out in the eighth round, but my God, what a natural talent the South African is. Rakimov in the end was just too strong. He was a bully in the end. Um, he tried boxing, realized it didn't work. He eventually turned on the sort of the, uh, the flat track bully mentality and eventually got to Fuzile. What a fight. Now, I mentioned the controversy with the smelling salts uh, that appeared to be given to him in the corner. It looks like Fuzili's team might protest and say, hey, those aren't legal. You can't do that. It does seem that way. It's unclear as to whether or not the result would be overturned or whether perhaps a rematch would be ordered or Fuzil will uh, probably get the winner of Rakimar versus Tevin Farmer. A rematch we're not going to complain about. Uh, Fuzil versus the winner of Rakimar versus Farmer would again be absolutely fine. Um, stylistically, I don't really want to see Fuzil Farmer. I think they'd, I don't think that would be a very attractive fight, but there's definitely something put in front of Rakimov's face. Uh, I think it's before round eight or round seven. Hard to say what it is and hard to imagine what the IBF will do with, with their findings. Yeah, I mean, I've never ever ingested smelling salts. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what it gives you. But in at least the boxing South Africa handbook, it says no stimulant, including but not limited to smelling salts or ammonia, Maybe given to a boxer. So that can't be uh, something that you, you sniff during the fight because it gives you that adrenaline rush. Maybe gives you that extra edge. Yeah, you'd imagine there's going to be some sort of investigation. Um, how someone gets it that close to the ring without somebody else smelling it and raising some sort of suspicion is a bit of a mystery, but it's boxing. There's dodgy thing done every single week. Amen to that. And it, it wasn't like they were hiding it. I mean, right, you got it on camera. They got it on camera. It's like, yeah, he's trainers giving him smell insults. Yeah. yeah. No one lodged an appeal until after the result as well. It's not like anyone rushing over to the car and going, oi, oi, you can't do that. Yeah. Like just slapping it out of his hand. Hey, stop. You stop that. No, I, I, was, I was just watching that video over and I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know what? When you look like you know what you're doing and like like you're not hiding anything, maybe it's less suspicious, and and that's what they were going for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, of course we're cheating, but you know. But we're cheating with confidence. I like it. <laughs> uh, today, Hiroto Kiyoguchi had a title fight. I don't know if you were up early enough. I know uh, here in America it was very very early, and I thankfully was up. And, uh, of course, over there in the U.K. where you are, it was a little less early. So probably for you, you can watch it with breakfast. For us, it's like watching it at the crack of dawn. 
Um, but Kyoguchi was tested a little bit today by uh, Tetsuya Hisada. Yeah, he's running around midday here, which is absolutely perfect. More midday fights, please. Um, he really was. I know Te- Tetsuya Hisada is a... And then unless you really follow the Japanese scene, you're not going to be familiar with it at all. He is a stalwart for Japan, but someone who basically has his entire career below Japanese title level until very recently. He was on, I think it was like a 14-fight winning run. It went back years, but it was against Japanese-level guys. Koki Ono, for example, and Koji Itagaki, Kenichi Horikawa, who were good domestic fighters, but not somebody who um, anybody at all outside Japan would ever have heard of. So for Hisada to go up against Kaiyushi, really, really test him, I think. He wobbled him in round two. He had him running away in the 12th round. It's it's a real credit to Hisada, who's now 34, 35, with a 15-year career behind him. This was probably his only shot, and he really tried to take the, make the most of it. It was a great effort. Both these guys, I mean, you, you give credit to Kyle Gucci, too, for standing in there. Of course, that's more of his style. Like, he's going to to put his head down and, and punch. But, yeah, just a great card. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get to see the rest of it. We were only uh, fortunate enough to see the championship fight for that super flyweight uh, or light flyweight title, excuse me. What I want to see, and I know everyone's calling for it, is Kiyoguchi Shiro. Probably not going to happen this year, though, because Kiyoguchi, after the fight, said uh, this is it for, for at least this year. Yeah, he's uh, he said he wanted to rest. He deserves it after today's fight in fairness. He's had two tough bouts this year in fairness. Two that he was expected to win, but he was he had to work for both wins. He had to beat uh, Wong like CP Freshman early in the year and worked for that and worked again for the win over his side. So no complaints with having a rest. His left eye was an absolute swollen mess at the end of the fight as well. So again, it's hard to complain if he's taking a break, but there's so many good fights in that division for him to come back to. You mentioned Ken Shiro, but then you cross off Felix Alvarado and Gala Costa, uh, Carlos Canizales. So many options at 108 pounds right now. And they all want that belt, that WBA light flyweight belt, and then and then the Ring Magazine belt too, that... Uh, Kyoguchi also holds. I would uh, also venture to say that uh, Shiro Kyoguchi could be made maybe as soon as next year. It could certainly be made early next year. I would suspect that there may be TV issues and something just delaying it, but they are close. They have spoke about the fight. They obviously do want to fight. Don't see either guy wanting to rush it yet, even though it makes a lot of sense for us watching as fans, especially given that Kaiguchi doesn't appear to be a TV um, a TV hit. If I'm being honest, it's something that perhaps they'll build to um, again next year, just as they built to through this year. Um, real shame we didn't see it this year. Yeah, how many streams did uh, that fight get at, at its peak? Uh, the highest ISO is what twenty seven thousand, which is sounds great. If you're an outsider looking at a YouTube stream, you see twenty seven live, uh, twenty seven thousand live viewers. That's amazing. Until you realise the fight wasn't shown on TV, and that was the only way to watch it. Which suggests Kaiguchi isn't the star that we feel he deserves to be. 
when I saw that number, I said, wow, that's great. But in in my head, I was thinking, okay, that's for the United States. That's for the UK. That's for everywhere else. Japan has this somewhere on television. Then you informed me of that. And I was like, oh, those are horrible numbers. Yeah, there's an argument. It's on midweek. It wasn't a great time. It had these other issues, but that's still an atrocious number for what is an all or second world title fight. It's uh, two guys who are originally from the same area. It's Kaiguchi's second defense. It's an exciting matchup. Maybe Hisada's record put people off, but it's bizarre how, how few people watched. For Hisada, is this is this it? Is it time to, to call it quits? I mean, he's had a pretty long career. He is closing in on 35. I don't know. This seems like a good time to just hang it up after getting that world title shot and making, you know, the most of it. I'd agree. He's had a very, very long career. He debuted in 2003. As we mixed and matched with his weights. He's fought as high as super featherweight. He found his groove uh, back in 2013 and really got going. And I think he's put everything into getting this world title fight, making the most of it. And now it's it's time to probably bow out. I don't expect him to go back to the domestic level. I don't see there being much there for him. A potential fourth bout with Kenichi Horikawa might might be enough for next year, but I'd go with him retiring now. Again, Hiroto Kyoguchi with the victory today, and uh, he continues to really, really impress me, just his tenacity. Yes, I mean, he is there to get hit, but he, again, is going to grit it out, grind it out, um, and eventually come away with the victory, at least so far. That's what we, we've seen in his young career now, we weren't able to see any of the other bouts, but there were some other uh, guys on there that, you know, you want to keep an eye on. And there is. There was Kaiki Yuba, the son of Tadashi Yuba. Um, he picked up a win over Mikado Kanishi. He is a retalented young prospect. His father was a five-weight national champion, so he's got pedigree through his veins, and he's very much someone worth uh, following. The other more notable in some ways fighter would be Hiroshiki Osawa, who famously fought in uh, in the US a couple of years ago, fighting, oh, who was it? The WBO featherweight champion at the time. Oscar Valdez. That's the guy who got beat by Valdez. I mean, everyone pretty much gets beat up by Valdez. That guy's a tough son of a gun. Yeah, yeah. and to be fair, Osawa showed his toughness against um, Valdez, but Somehow he's now ranked number one by the WBA featherweight. So his next bout could potentially be a fight with Kanzu. Don't say anything but a zoo win, but it would be fun to watch. It's always fun to watch zoo. He's, he's all action. Osawa's there to be hit, so that could be a lot of fun. So we had those fights today, and we were treated to them. But this weekend, huge weekend. Uh, we'll talk about the Gennady Golovkin card. But first, I want to get to a card that's also going to be happening this Saturday, the 5th, at Crockin Hall, Junto Nakatani. He's been uh, one of those prospects, up-and-comers, but I think this is going to be a real test. I know Milan Melindo's stepping up, but it's a former world titleist, and that guy's just tough. I think this is going to be a good one. 
on paper, this one looks brilliant. Nakatani stepping up to the fringes of world class to take on Melindo, a, a fantastic, fantastic fight in his prime. The only problem is Melindo isn't a super flyweight, and I think Nakatani's natural size advantage will prove way too much here. It's one of those where you're looking at it, you kind of, ooh, really good. And then you kind of think about it a bit more, you kind of go, ah, Melinda's not fought recently. Ah, Melinda got stopped by Kenshira. Ah, Melinda's wars have added up. Nakatani's fresh, young, strong. I think it's something that Nakatani's going to make it look very, very easy, to be honest. You might be right about that. And it's just because Melinda before was in so many wars, um, you know, going up against. Butler and Taguchi, and they're getting knocked out by Shiro. Uh, those fights take a lot out of you. And, and to come and go and face a young Nakatani, um, again, like you said, stepping up in class, right? Going from light fly to flyweight, not going to be easy. I just, I just like the test for Nakatani because it's still a world championship caliber fighter. I know he's older. I know he's been through some wars. But to me, it's still somewhat of a test, and it, we'll get to see a little bit more about what Nakatani is made of. It's that really smart matchmaking where you put your prospect against somebody who is still good enough to be a test, but should be a safer test. And I think that's that's what MT Jim have done brilliantly here. Mullen knows world class. He's got the skills, the tools, the experience to extend Nakatani, but maybe not push him hard down the stretch Nakatani also has been training out here actually in America and I really regret it because he was about 20 minutes from my house I needed to I needed to go and sneak into uh, the Maywood boxing gym and just uh, say hello that would have been a, that would have been pretty cool maybe 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 we'll get an exclusive interview from him next time he's down here but I think that training here in America really helps you get to spar against some some solid opponents, and it's just something different from what you see in Japan. Yeah, you'd be surprised by how many Japanese fighters do end up training at the Maywood Gym. Quite a lot of them do. Um, Hinata Naruto was there a few years ago, quite notably, and it certainly seems to be the place to go if you want to find a Japanese guy training in the U.S. I think it's smart. I think it's just different competition, different styles that you get to see here in America, and this kid... Junto Nakatani, especially at flyweight, I, eventually, obviously, he's going to have to move up just with his height and his build. Uh, he's dangerous, though, because he has some power in that left hand, good jab, stiff jab, and then just that height, that length. Uh, it's going to give a lot of flyweights trouble if he stays at this weight class. Yeah, yeah, I don't see him staying as a flyweight for much longer, but yeah. Um, even at Superfly, he's going to be a big guy the way he's a bit of a physical freak and still maturing. So scary prospect for the future. Any other uh, fun fights on this Nakatani Melindo card? Nakatani's new stalemate, Shigitoshi Kotari, is making his debut. He's been sparring with Masayuki Ito. Um, he's he's in a mismatch against an Indonesian guy, um, but he's going to be fun to watch. I really like watching Akuro Saratsune. I think he's got such a fun style. Uh, he recently fought Shoishida and Ranashida to a very close decision. and He's still really young, so I'd keep an eye out for Akuro Saratsune. 
There you have it. October 5th coming up this Saturday. Uh, Kuraken Hall and uh, Junto Nakatani leading the charge against Milan Melindo. 10-round bout and uh, Nakatani looking to stay perfect with his record. I If he wins this, especially in a commanding fashion, where does he go from here? If he can make flyweight, and that's a big if, then there's a world title fight almost certainly on the line for him early next year. If he needs to move up, then I imagine a, maybe an OPBF or a WBO Asia Pacific title fight in the new year, then a world title fight perhaps 2021. He's a hard guy to match. He's very, very, very talented. Um, but you need to give him more bouts at this level if he's to move up in weight. One more note regarding this fight. What weight is he going to fight Melindo at? That's a really good question. I know BoxRec says it's super flyweight. It's actually contracted between flyweight and super flyweight. In Japan, they have a lot of contracted weight. Yeah, it's weird. We see a lot of these, like, um, I think the Sadatsuna fights contracted at 119 pounds. It's, it's weird, but it does make a lot of sense. And it means you're not struggling to make weight at something that's artificially too low for yourself or whatever for these type of fights. All right, again, October 5th, this Saturday. Uh, where can fans watch this if they would want to watch it? Fans can watch this on G+. Unfortunately, and as I think I've said a few times this year, it's going to be on tape delay. Um, G plus is showing on the Tuesday night, I believe, um, October 8th. Well, one, you'll be able to watch this Saturday live on DAZN. Gennady Golovkin taking on Sergei Dervianchenko. Before we get to the Golovkin fight, though, uh, one of his countrymen, Ali Akhmadov, also from Kazakhstan, is fighting. Um, this guy's just a brawler. Just a brawler. He's going to be fighting Andrew Hernandez uh, at Madison Square Garden. It's a great opportunity for Akhmadov to put himself in sort of in the limelight, he is so much fun to watch. Uh, on paper, at least on paper, this is a step up against Hernandez. And he, uh, yeah, Akhmadov's one of those fighters who's going to be on people's radars for the years to come. He's the heir apparent in many ways to Golovkin. He's aggressive, heavy-handed, exciting, and Hernandez will make him look a million dollars here. That's what we want to see. We want to see action fights. That's why Golovkin sells and. Uh, hopefully, like you said, he is the heir apparent, Akhmadov, to Gennady Golovkin. Someone who maybe is a little bit more technical, but also equally exciting. Israel Majumov, great amateur. Uh, he's making his fourth appearance against Alejandro Berea. A little bit of a step up. Berea, you know, he fought Errol Spence Jr., Carlos Adamas, um... So this should be uh, an interesting fight between the two. I think Madrimov's going to probably wipe the floor, but we'll see. I very much agree. I think it's great that Pereira has proven toughness. Pereira's gone the distance with Carlos Adamas. Uh, only Errol Spence has taken him out. Either. But Madrimov's a monster. To see Madrimov and to not think this guy is a future world champion in the making, he's probably already ready for a world title fight in fairness. The brute power, the flair, he has it all. This guy is special. 
you look at Kazakhstan, but especially Uzbekistan, all the stars that are coming up, it's exciting, especially if you're a fan of Asian boxing. If you're a fan of aggressive fighters, it's really exciting. We've got um, Bektimir Malikuziev, um, another Uzbek, another huge puncher. The Uzbekistan's just seem to turn out massive punches at the moment, and it's so much fun. Scott and Colin, AsianBoxing.info is the website, AsianBoxing.info, the Asian Boxing Podcast, and Gennady Golovkin um, is atop this card. I think he can handle Dervianchenko, and to me, I want to see him, I want to see Golovkin just go with the best right now, just because he's he's 37 He's getting older, and I want to see a couple more good fights with him before he hangs it up. Obviously, you want to see Canelo. We were hearing, oh, Canelo doesn't want to fight him anymore because that that's passed. But what do you think of this Golovkin-Devianchenko fight? I like it. I think it's it's not a super fight. It's not Golovkin versus Jacobs, Golovkin versus Canelo. But it's good. It's... Devianchenko can hold his own. He's not a bad fighter. It's just, just a shame he's not a big name fighter. He's not this guy who's been at world level time and time again. He's, he's solid without being spectacular. And at this point in time, you don't know when Glovkin's going to get old. You don't know when he's going to start looking thirty-seven. If he looks his age, this could be a very, very tough night for him. But yeah, it's not it's not the big fight that you want for Golovkin. You want to see him in those big mega fights and this isn't one of them. Unfortunately, I don't think the middleweight division's very good right now. Would you say it's because guys are just leaving? Yeah. Yeah. Canelo's going up and Jacob's going up and Golovkin's the star and he's thirty seven. You got likes of Ryota Morata in there. Yeah, good, not spectacular. Demetrius Andrade, he's talented. He just one of those fighters that doesn't seem to ever do anything spectacularly, despite being incredibly talented. And then you have got guys like Michael Sarafra, Jeff Horn, and Brandon Adams all hanging around the top sort of fifteen. It's kind of like, oh, this division really isn't very strong right now. It's got three names in it that are perhaps leaving, and really unexcited about the middleweight division. I'm afraid. Do you think Murata Golovkin ever happens? I hope so. I think that's probably when Canelo, when Canelo leaves the division, when Jacobs leaves the division, that's about as good a fight as you can make it. It'd be fun. I think Golovkin would still win, but it'd do really big numbers. It'd be a global event. Yeah, let's have that one in 2020, please. Right, I mean, especially with all the guys leaving, and like you said, the middleweight division really becoming weaker because those guys are leaving. That might be the the fight really to make and might be a good one for Golovkin to end his career on, especially again, especially if Canelo doesn't want any more of Golovkin. Cause I think that would be the biggest fight to make. But uh, if we're not going to see that again, then I, I'm, I'm okay with it because I guess we don't need a third one. I think the first two were extremely close. Golovkin's just getting older and it, it might be time soon for him to hang it up. Golovkin getting older. I think Alvarez is still getting better. I don't know what Alvarez is going to do after he's fought. Uh, I can't see him coming back down to middleweight after that. That's a big amount of weight to lose. So yeah, Golovkin, Morata, it's the money fight after Canelo goes. It's 
the one that would sell the Tokyo Dome. It has all the ingredients to be something very, very fun, fun, and fun friendly. So yeah, fun. Put your tools aside and let's get that one sorted, please. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, AsianBoxing.info with Scott and Colin. We are back, and uh, yeah, we are ready uh, just to continue to keep on giving you some great content when it comes to Asian boxing. I know we have a lot coming up. October and November are going to be wild when it comes to, to the boxing world. Of course, December, the end of the year, and New Year's is always crazy, especially in Japan. So I'm excited. I know you are, Scott, and I know the fans are as well. Yeah, very right to be, don't they? It's going to be a fantastic end to the year. If the rumors that we're hearing coming out, then December's going to be fire. Well, there we have it. We're back, and we will talk to you next week. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Scott and Colin, have a great rest of your day.